Welcome to Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Sharon has a passion for scripture that will motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Visit SeekingTruth.net to learn more about bringing Seeking Truth to your parish or to become an online learner. Today, it's part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 42 through 44. And now, Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. Bring your youngest brother to me. Then I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. And I will deliver to you your brother, and you shall trade in the land. As they emptied out their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of money, they were overjoyed. No, they were dismayed. They were scared. They were dismayed. What is going on? And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin, Benomi, son of my old age. All this has come upon me. Spiritual famine, where are you, Lord? And you notice it's all about him. How have you done this to me? Reuben said to his father, Slay my two sons. If I do not bring him back to you, put him in my hands and I will bring him back to you. Is he going to believe Reuben, the firstborn son of Leah? He says he's pretty sure, he's really sure he can do this. He's even offering his two sons in payment. But does Jacob trust Reuben? No, why? Because while Jacob was away in chapter 35, Reuben went in and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. He made a power play. With his husband, with his father's wife, and Israel heard of it. He's not trusting Reuben. He's not trusting Reuben with his prize, Benjamin. Jacob said, My son Benjamin shall not go down with you, for his brother Joseph is dead, and he only is left. Now, how do you think that made the other ten feel when he said, Benjamin is the only son I have left? That had to really sting, right? That really had to, uh. If harm would befall Benjamin on the journey that you were to make, you would bring down my gray hairs with sorrow to Sheol. He will die. He cannot do it. He's not trusting the Lord, and he's thinking a lot about himself. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain which they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. They're out. This is a seven-year famine. They need more food. Judah said to him, Judah now, the fourth son of Jacob and Leah, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother Benjamin with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down because the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, now it's been Jacob, 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 and now all of a sudden it's Israel. Why did you treat me so ill as to tell the man that you had another brother? It's all about Jacob. Israel or Jacob? Remember what the names mean. Israel means one who has striven with God and man and one, prevailed. Remember? What's the old name Jacob mean? Deceiver, supplanter. Part of that spiritual struggle in the end of life, he's still fighting with God and he's still fighting with men. It's till we die, you guys. This struggle, this tension, we're fighting with God. We have to persevere till our last breath, until death do us part. And then we'll never part because the soul is eternal, eternally alive. So so then it will be perfected and we won't have to worry about fighting with God anymore. But on this earth, until our last breath, we struggle. Israel as a nation was the firstborn son of God. The Gentiles 
will be the second born son of God in symbolic. All though are sons of God, right? We all have the same father, God. We're each a star. All of us are sons of Abraham. The stars promised to him, the sand grains. Israel said, why did you treat me so ill as to tell the man that you had another brother? So all are sons of Abraham. What if God would have stopped at son number one, just the Jewish race? We'd have no salvation, right? What would have become of son number two, the Gentiles? This is symbol. This is uh, God uses this language, nuptial language, like we're his wife or his bride. He also says we're his children. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. So Jacob had already given up one son, one beloved son, Joseph. Now must Jacob give up another son? Benjamin. Abraham had given up Ishmael. Must he also give up Isaac? Remember the sacrifice of Isaac? Isaac had given up Esau. Must he also give up his other son, Jacob? Esau was the one he loved, the hunter. Must he also give up Jacob? The intellect. Jacob has given up a son, Joseph. Must he also give up Benjamin? Do you see a pattern here? God had given up his first son, Adam. Must he also give up a second Adam, a second son, a beloved son? who sits at the right hand of the Father, who every knee should bow to and every tongue confess, an only begotten beloved Son of the Father. And on the cross, Jesus cries out in that spiritual famine. He's praying, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God hasn't. He, he, in his divinity, God cannot abandon him. But in his humanity, he fills that spiritual famine. Israel said, why did you treat me so ill as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and about our kindred, about our family. Because Joseph wants to know, because Joseph loves his father. He was the favorite son. He says, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And he knows, it's my full brother from my mom, Rachel, my brother, Benny. What we told him was in answer to these questions. Could we in any other way know what he would say? Bring your brother down. Judah said to Israel, his father, send the lad with me and we'll go. We'll rise and go that we may live and not die. We need this bread or we're going to die. Both we and you and also our little ones. Will Jacob trust Judah, the fourth son? the lion of Judah, the fourth son of Leah. I will be surety for him. Judah says, of my hand, you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. Jacob is taking so long to decide if Benjamin can go. They're all starving. We could have been to Egypt and back twice by now, dad. Come on. Then their father Israel said to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choicest fruits of the land in your bags and carry down to the man a present. Do you remember when this same Jacob sent waves of presents before him to Esau to appease him to forgive? Do you remember? Now he's doing the same thing. Take a little balm and a little honey because they hardly have any, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money. If there's no food, money will not help you. Jacob was rich. Jacob was wealthy. He can buy food up to a certain point, but when food's gone, even money doesn't help. Take double the money with you. Carry back the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother. Uh, 
hardest thing he said, take your brother and go again to the man. And he gives a blessing. It might be the final blessing he gives his sons, not knowing if he'll ever see them again. May God Almighty, and this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man that he may send back your other brother and Benjamin. I am bereaved of my children. I am bereaved. So this is his prayer that God Almighty may grant you mercy before the man. That's still a typology with Joseph and the antitype, the greater Jesus. May God grant you mercy, forgiveness, love eternal. So the man took the present and they took double the money with them and Benjamin and they arose and went to Egypt and they stood there before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon at noon now joseph has so much forgiving to do right and the brothers have so much confessing to do at noon jesus also had a lot of forgiving to do and by the third hour on the cross by three o'clock he had said these final words father forgive them for they know not what they do Joseph has time in this interim to forgive his brothers. Will he do it? The man did as Joseph bade him and brought the men to Joseph's house. The men were afraid because they were being brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are being brought in so that he may seek occasion against us and fall on us to make us slaves and to seize our asses. Yeah, he's going to seize their asses, right? I know. (laughs) It's in the scripture. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. And they said, oh, my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened up our sacks and there was every man's money in the, in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it with us again. And we have brought other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put the money in our sacks. Now, Joseph must have thought, oh, Good. They're growing. They're growing in honesty, right? He replied, rest assured, do not be afraid. Your God, capital G, not the little G gods of Egypt, but your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of your father, Jacob, must have put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Then he brought out Simeon to them. And when the men had brought the men into Joseph's house, he gave them water. He washed their feet. And when he had given their asses provender, they made ready the present for Joseph's coming at noon that they heard they should eat bread there. Wow. Here they are way from Cana, they're being brought into the second in command's house in Egypt to his personal home. And when Joseph came home, they brought into the house the present and they bowed down to the ground before Joseph. Joseph inquired about their welfare. He's especially interested in who? His beloved father, Jacob. Is your father well? Is the old man you spoke of your father? Is he still alive? You know, this famine has been hard on an old man. He wants to know, is dad okay? And they said, your servant, our father is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and made obeisance. They bowed their heads and made obeisance, just like the dream. Obeisance is a gesture expressing deferential respect, like a bow, a curtsy, or a genuflection. Who do you genuflect to? And he lifted up his eyes and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God, be gracious to you, my son, his full brother Benjamin from his mother, Rachel. Joseph made haste. His heart was yearning for 
for his brother and he sought a place where he could weep. He entered his chamber and he wept there. He cried and cried and cried. He washed his face, he came out, he controlled himself and he said, let food be served. Now, these are emotional tears that Joseph is having. And these tears come to water and cleanse our souls. Tears are good. Don't fight back spiritual, emotional tears. They're very cleansing. Animals don't cry tears. This is a gift given to humans from God. Tears are a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit. Humans cry emotional tears because we feel and we emote and we cry. Jesus himself in his humanity, he cried with Martha and Mary at the death of Lazarus. He cried, he wept over the city Jerusalem knowing what was coming. David, the greatest king of Israel cried in Psalm 6. He said, I'm weary with my crying. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. Sometimes people cry in the confessional. This is very true. Penitential tears are like renewed baptismal water for the sinner. Isn't that beautiful? Penitential tears, the grace of that sacrament, the contrition of the heart, the thanksgiving for forgiveness. Penitential tears are like renewed baptismal water for the sinner. The healing river of salvation flowing from the heart of Jesus in the sacramental grace. It's Jesus sitting in that chair. This priest sits, there's only one priesthood. It's the priesthood of Jesus Christ. He sits in person of Christ by the authority in John 20 to forgive sins. So those tears of gratitude for absolution, just, you just can't, when you hear the words, the tears of freedom. Uh, from bondage being broken and forgiveness. So a good confession to a priest includes these things. When you make a confession, a hearty contrition. You need a hearty contrition. You need to be truly sorry. You need a humble confession of sin. It takes humility to walk in and confess to another human the shameful act you've done. That's not easy. It's much easier just going straight to God. No one has to know about it, right? When you have to go into a confessional and humble yourself, a firm purpose of amendment, that means I'm going to try with your grace to not do this anymore. And then a sufficient satisfaction and reparation of the evil done. You try and go and make amends. You go and say, I'm sorry, Steve. You go, you, you guys don't, unless you did something to Steve. You know, you, you're truly sorry and you make amends. So Joseph is having tears, emotional tears. His heart is very tender. Forgiveness is at work in him. Grace is at work in him. This is hard to forgive. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things to do. We get so hard-hearted, so self-righteous. I was wronged. I'm hurt. I'm broken. It wasn't fair. It wasn't just. It's hard to forgive. We need God's grace. They served him by himself and them by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews and that because that was an abomination to the Egyptians. They sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth and the men looked at one another in amazement. They are in the house of the viceroy of Egypt feasting. Portions are taking, taken for them from Joseph's own table. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And so they drank and they were merry with Benjamin. Now, when is the last time in Genesis when we saw all the brothers together sharing a meal? When they dumped him down in the pit, left him for dead, heard him screaming and crying, and they sat down to eat a meal. 
and those floods of memories are coming back again for Joseph. When Joseph commanded the steward of the house, fill them in sacks with food as much as they can carry and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And he did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their asses. And when they had gone but a short distance from the city, Joseph said to his steward, up, follow after the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, why have you returned evil for good? Why have you stolen my silver cup? It is not from this that my Lord's drink and by that my Lord drinks and by this that he divines. So what you have done wrong in so doing? When he went and overtook them and spoke these words to them, they said, why does my Lord speak these words? Far be it from us, your servants, that we should ever do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then would we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. He said, let it be as you say. And with whom it is found shall be my slave and the rest of you will be blameless. Then every man quickly lowered his sack to the ground and every man opened up his sack. And he searched beginning with the eldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Remember when his mother hid the household idols under the camel's saddle. Then they rent their clothes and every man loaded his ass and they returned to the city. They tear their garments. They're so distraught. How will they ever explain to Jacob? When Judah and his brothers came back to Joseph's house, he was still there and they fell before him to the ground again. And Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed divine? I think he's saying he can read hearts. He can read souls. Don't lie to me. Tell me the whole truth now. I think that because it's by the power of God that certain people can read hearts or read souls. And Joseph's a type and Jesus Christ is the anti-type greater than Joseph. When Joseph interpreted the dreams of the Pharaoh, who did he give the glory to? To God, not himself. When he interpreted the dreams of the butler and the banker, he said, only God, only by God is this done. It is God's power to interpret dreams. Both times he gave full credit to God. Jesus had the ability to read hearts. Remember the calling of Nathaniel in John chapter one. He sees Nathaniel and immediately he says, there's a man in whom there is no guile, no deceit. He read his heart and he called him to be an apostle. Joseph says, I can indeed divine. And I think he means by the divine one, by the power of God, can I divine? Can I know? Can I read hearts and souls? Maybe the same property Jesus had. We see in the gospels, uh, Jesus knew their hearts. Jesus read their, their minds. There is a facet of mystical knowledge that uh, has been given to especially some Catholic priests that are now saints. It's the gift of reading souls. It has often been given to priests that they might better guide penitents in the sacrament of confession. These are some of the priests who are noted to have the ability to read hearts or souls. St. Anthony of Padua, St. Francis of Paola, St. Philip Neri, St. Joseph of Cupertino, St. Paul of the Cross, who had the 45 years of darkness of the soul, St. John Vianney, when we had the year 
Cura the priest, he was, is the one. St. John Bosco and St. Padre Pio in 1968. That's in our lifetime. The Cura de Ars, St. John Vianney, had lines. He would spend 16 to 18 hours a day in the confessional in Ars, France. People would come from all over the world for him to hear their confession. God was so pleased with his love and devotion of this holy priest that he gave him the gift of reading hearts. He was able to lead sinners closer to God. John Vianney certainly possessed this gift in an extraordinary way. Let's talk about Padre Pio. He could read hearts and he had the gift of prophecy. He spent most of his day hearing confessions from 1918 to 1923, uh, 15 to 19 hours a day he was in the confessional. In 1962, 83,000 women and 19,000 men registered for confession with Padre Pio, an average of 273 confessions a day. People would come from all over the world. And he could read hearts. These are some of the documented cases, just a few. Pio said, tell me your sins. And the penitent said, I'm not prepared. I better leave and come back when I'm ready. He came back to confession three years later, and Padre Pio looked at him and said, you took three years to prepare? A woman was preparing to confess to Padre Pio the night before she had eaten several figs, and she decided to confess it as the sin of gluttony. Father, I have another sin, but for the life of me, I cannot remember what it was. And Pio said, that's okay, just a few figs next time. Without her even saying it, a sculptor came to Pio in 1949, and Padre Pio asked him if he wanted to confess. He said, maybe, but I'm not prepared. Pio said, don't say anything to me, just answer. Then Pio began to let his sins with incredible precision. It was as though he could read my soul, the penitent said. When her turn came to confess, a woman knelt in the confessional but felt terrorized and couldn't utter a single word. Pio said, do you want me to talk for you? He said word by word all the things she had prepared to say and then added, I will be your spiritual father. A priest preparing to confess to Pio was thinking. The spiritual life at times is like to clutch at straws. After confession, Padre Pio said, smiling, so you think that the spiritual life at times is like to clutch at straws. The priest had not mentioned this at all in confession. Last one, Carlo Campani went to confession to Padre Pio in 1950, and Padre Pio said, begin in 1936. And the guy said, but I confessed a few days ago. Pio said, I told you to begin in 1936. Carlo remembered what he had done in 1936 and had been ashamed to confess. He concluded, that confession changed my life and I haven't missed daily mass since then. So when Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell before him to the ground. Joseph said, what deed is it that you have done? Do you know that such a man as I can indeed divine. He knows he can read their hearts. Have they made, are they going to confess now? Finally, are they going to give a full confession? Judah, here's your chance. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out that the guilt of your servants, behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But he said, far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my slave. But as for you, go in peace. Then Judah went up to Joseph and said, Oh, my Lord, let your servant, I pray you, speak a word in your Lord's ear. And let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. See, you're like God himself. This Joseph is like God himself. He wants to confess. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, and a young brother, the child of his old age. And his brother is dead. 
And he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so that I may set my eyes upon him. And we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father will die. Then you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you cannot see my face. So when we went back to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. And when our father said, go again and buy us a little food, we said, we cannot go. If our youngest brother does not go with us, then we will go down. But we can't can't see the man's face unless our youngest brother comes with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me. And I said, surely he has been torn to pieces. And I've never seen him since. And if you take this one also from me, the harm befalls him. You will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol. And therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad's not with us, he will die. This will kill my father. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back, then I shall bear the blame in my, the sight of my father all my life. Now, therefore, let your servant, I pray you, remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord. And let the lad go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the lad is not with me? I fear to see the evil that would come upon my father. Now, that was Judah's confession. Judah has given Joseph a confession. And I ask you, was it a full confession? Has Judah given a full confession? No. And this is, this is something that we need to be aware of. When we go to confession, we must give a full confession. If there's a sin you did back in 1936 that you're keeping from the Lord, the Lord knows it anyway. Right? So, so we have to make a full confession. That one sin, that one sin that's so bad that you think God could not possibly forgive you. That's Satan telling you that. Those lies. He's the accuser. That needs to be confessed, fully confessed. And Judah has not done that here. So what will Joseph do? This is a dilemma. This is the tension tonight. This is how we leave it. Will he forgive his brothers? We don't know. It's a cliffhanger. Will he seek revenge? What's going to happen? Will he say, Father, forgive them? They knew not what they were doing. We don't know. So you have to come back next week and find out. <laughs> Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for this servant, Joseph, the type of Jesus that he is. We thank you for tender hearts. We pray for tender hearts, Lord. It's so hard to forgive. Whatever grudges we have, whatever hurts we have in life, may we have your grace. May your grace be sufficient to heal our memories, our understanding, and surrender our entire wills over to you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That was part two of the book of Genesis, chapters 42 through 44, on Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran. To learn more about Seeking Truth Bible Studies, visit SeekingTruth.net. Tune in next time for more Seeking Truth with Sharon Doran.